This episode is brought to you by the Psych Collaborative, an online psychology clinic bringing high quality psychological support to you in the comfort of your own home. Hey guys, this week we are discussing internalized misogyny. We talk about why this occurs. We talk about how this is related to our psychological processes. We talk about the recent backlash from the WAP video film clip. And we also go into some Instagram statistics. We hope you guys enjoy this episode. Just a warning, this episode discusses sexual assault and physical assault. If this is a trigger for you in any way, we strongly suggest that you skip this episode. Hello and welcome back to another episode. Today we'll be diving deep into the psychology behind internalized misogyny and talking all things gender bias. But first, Katniss, please tell me about your week. What is your pit and peak? Oh, pit and peak. I feel like Ames, we have not recorded just you and I for a very long time. I was yeah. a little bit excited today. I was like, <laughs> I get to sit down with the Amy Hudson. <laughs> It's hard to book a time to see you, so I'm very honoured to be here. You know what, Ames? My peak is that I'm talking to you tonight. (laughs) I just haven't seen you in so long, so it's an honour. It's a privilege to be sitting down with Amy Hudson today and I have an hour of your time and I'm just hashtag blessed to be across from you. (laughs) That is my peak. Um, Going to my pit, I have a funny story and I've been itching and saving it up to tell you, but we've had so many interviews that I haven't been able to tell you. Um, To all our, you know, regular listeners, Kat now saves her story, Mm. her funny bloopers for my organic reaction on the podcast. So now, like, I don't hear it first. Well, Ames, let's be real. This is the only time we hang out as friends. (laughs) (laughs) We're actually... I think people think that we like see each other every day. Amy and I live two hours apart from each other. So we actually don't see each other a lot. So this is the time that I have to hang out with you and record a podcast. So I just merge the two together. Okay, hit me. <laughs> okay, me this so um, it actually fits in quite well with today's episode. Um, I was at the gym. I feel like this year I've just had so much bloopers, so many bloopers at the gym. Anyway, it's a great place for bloopers. Uh, breeding ground for embarrassment and bacteria, but here I am, <laughs> live to tell the tale. <laughs> I am currently on a mission to build muscle, so I've been in the weights room a lot in the men's, I guess, stereotypically men's room. Anyway, I went there and I, tr- I tried to go in a really quiet time. Around me are about seven or eight men grunting away, lifting their heavy weights. Anyway, I'm sitting down in between sets having a rest and... Do you know at the gym how they play TV shows and mm. there's, there's no sound. There's no way you can connect to a TV show, but <laughs> <laughs> you know where this is going. <laughs> Please continue. <laughs> so, there's, and okay, so there's um, TV shows playing at the gym. You cannot <laughs> emotionally connect to the TV show at the gym. Um, the worst part was I wasn't even watching it directly. I was watching it in the mirror of my squat rack and it's behind me, right? So I'm watching. I was really engrossed. It's Ninja Warrior. <laughs> and I'm, I, I've never seen Ninja Warrior before. I, I was, anyway, so I was so engrossed in Ninja Warrior. There's this girl and she was so strong and she was like kicking butt. There's all these obstacles, man. They're crazy. Like, anyway. And I'm like, I feel like this show is meant to empower you and like make you feel really good and strong. Anyway, it gets to the end. Ninja Warriors. It's all about empowering. (laughs) No, to be and it's strong. Very timely to play at the gym. Like it's it's you know meant to pump you up, meant to get you ready for your workout. Yeah. So really good thing to have at the gym, except they didn't know that Cat Wyeth would walk in and sit down and really connect to this show. So I'm really <laughs> connecting to it. I'm, I haven't done any weights in about seven minutes. I'm sitting there watching. My eyes are glued to Ninja Warrior. And anyway, so she gets the last obstacle. My heart's beating so fast because I'm so excited for her. Meanwhile, like everyone's around me, like everyone's going back in their normal day, but I'm glued to this screen. Anyway, so she kicks butt. She finishes the final obstacle. And, oh, my God, it's the most beautiful cinematic experience I've ever had in my life. <laughs> Without sound. <laughs> Without sound. <laughs> the reflection of the mirror. And Just it was like background it was a tiny and... TV. It wasn't even a widescreen. It was tiny. Um, 
Yes. So she finishes her final obstacle. She swings up. She presses a button. It's all done. What followed next was the most emotional experience I think I've had in the gym. And so she runs over to her partner who's been like watching her this whole time. He starts crying. She starts crying. They have this beautiful embrace. (laughs) And I I find it so beautiful in the middle of my squat reps. I start crying. Like, I'm not just like, wait, I'm not just having a few little tears. I'm, tears are running down my face. And I'm just so connected to this girl. I'm like, she's done so well. I bet she's trained so hard. You know, I was just so proud of her. I didn't know her, but I was so proud of her. Um, Anyway, so the show turned off and I'm sitting there bawling, like really just crying. It was quite the experience. The owner of the gym turned the show off. (laughs) (laughs) He just points to a sign that says no crying. Um, And the guy next to me is like quite, you know, beefy and bulky. And he goes, hey, uh, are you okay? I was like, yeah, I just, wow, I've never seen Ninja Warrior before. That was such a beautiful TV show. And he's like... Yeah, wow, it's just Ninja Warrior. Anyway, so that was my experience last week. And I can't even, I can't even say like it was my period. That's just who I am. I just connect to everything. Like I I see something and I just, I just can't help but connect to it. So that was my pick is I walked out of the gym crying and I just, yeah, I just need to go home. You're a big cutie. <laughs> Little marshmallow. My, my favourite memories is when we lived together and we'd watch like a romantic comedy and we'd both like be sitting next to each other, like trying not to cry. And you do the little, you know, little side, side mm, eye, side eye, just to see if anyone else is crying. And then we'd both look at each other and there'd be a couple of tears running yeah. down our cheeks. And then we'd like, oh, you're crying too. Yeah. I was like, thank God I've been saving this. I've been wiping my nose with my sleeve for the last hour, hoping you wouldn't notice. Or I, I'd go on my phone to try and like disconnect a bit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, let the love get to you, cat. Don't cry. Don't cry. Um, That's yeah. amazing. So that was my, my pit Ninja last Warriors. week. Yeah. So my darling Amy, please tell me your pit and peak. Please tell me it's not as pathetic as mine. Oh, not pathetic at all. Like I said, I think you're so beautiful. Um, look, I honestly don't think I have a pit and a peak that lives up to what you just explained. Um, I would say my peak is, well, it hasn't happened yet, but I'm really looking forward to Sunday with you. We have scheduled in some bestie time to catch up with work yes. aside. Um, and I'm just, I just can tell that that's my peak already. So. <laughs> There Did you, you know I'm making you run sand dunes? Yeah, when you messaged me and you were like, let's run sand dunes, I was like, oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. Get a, get a friend like Amy. Most friends would be like, <laughs> I'll meet you at the top. Like, no, I'm keen for that. And then Pitt, I, would, I will say, and we were talking about this a little bit off mic, about just really looking forward to summer because winter is not my jam. I just, I don't feel as energetic. I don't feel as light and in good spirits Mm. I'm someone who is really affected by the seasons and weather and you know I feel the best when it's summer and you you, you're out in sunshine and I miss I miss that I really miss Mm. that and although I have noticed the days are getting a little bit longer it's a bit lighter earlier in the morning which is great but I've been getting up at 4.30 in the morning to go to the gym and fit in work and our side hustles and everything else. So some mornings I leave in the dark and get home in the dark or I'm working so I miss the afternoon light. And that has been something that's really affected my energy and mood. But I would say it's not necessarily a pit, but I've just noticed that I've been feeling a little bit blech. That's all. But a bit of and the I winter fatigue. Normal. Yeah. And it's it's coming to the end of winter. And I think it's still not warm enough yet that you can feel that the effects of the hot weather and the sun. Mm. But it's almost there. But it's just like you've had three well. And COVID hasn't made things easier as well. It, I can imagine that would be quite, quite frustrating. And I bet you're very keen for summer. So very keen. Very normal. Alrighty, <laughs> let's jump into today's episode. Internalized misogyny. 
Yay. So probably not our usual episode, but we thought this was such, Ames and I, we have been wanting to do this app for a while, um, just as females in the professional world who do see clients who do experience a lot of internalized misogyny. You and I experience internalized misogyny. We are probably perpetrators of internalized misogyny. So thought this would be such an awesome episode to talk about, as well as having science behind it. It is quite a it seems like a non-psyche topic on the surface, but I think when we delve into the why people are misogynist and especially women, um, it's interesting to kind of get the psychology behind misogyny. So Amy, tell me about internalized misogyny and do you have an urban dictionary definition? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I don't think urban dictionary's definition of internalized misogyny is accurate as much as it is laughable. Um, <laughs> But I think when we are diving into the unconscious associations that are often made about gender, neuroscience actually has a lot to answer for. And I think neuroscience is important for understanding how our brain creates associations um, to help us kind of make sense of the world and how we kind of make our own judgments. I think all of us, whether male or female, are unconsciously gender biased. These biases lead well-meaning men and women into doing things that perpetuate the status quo without us even knowing about it. Most people think that they move through their day with a conscious and rational process of deliberation, but they don't. And by this logic, it's really difficult for us to understand how we would do things that are outside of our values and beliefs. But in fact, Conscious decision-making is literally a minuscule Mm. fraction of what goes on in your brain. It is impossible for us to take on the constant barrage of information in our environment, process it, formulate a response to it with that part of our brain alone. So what our brain calls upon for help is a vast repertoire of associations stored in our unconscious because outside of our awareness, our brain is constantly scanning, constantly scanning for repeated patterns. And these are stored as the way things are or the way things should be. This process works really well, except our brain cannot differentiate fairness or accuracy of what the environment constantly feeds it, which means if it's associated something in our environment, we have an association in our unconscious. And it's these associations which inform how we make sense of our responses to stimuli in the world. Neuroscience has actually discovered a really easy way to measure our unconscious with the implicit association test. So what that looks like for gender is quite simple, really. All it does is ask you to associate words with an image of a man or woman. So for example, most people, regardless of political orientation, were quicker to match words like leader, strong and protective to men and nurturing emotional and fragile were easily more easily associated for women so where does this come from the media is not benign and our brain unconsciously uses imagery from the media to formulate who belongs where and what things look like for example there's a study that's been replicated time and time again where gender-blind participants are asked to review applications for the role of a police chief. When no names were attached, participants actually preferred the application where more education was listed. However, when names were attached, participants preferred the male application. These unconscious biases don't just cause discrimination, they also influence our decision-making. So when you really look at this bias, it shows up everywhere. Who does the household chores? Who's the better driver? Who do we select to be our leaders? Internalized misogyny is when women subconsciously project sexist ideas onto other women and onto themselves. I wanted to give some examples of internalized misogyny. These are just a few that I rattled off the top of my head. And these are very common uh, ideas of internalized misogyny. They're very common behaviors that women do exhibit towards other women. And it's something that is so unconscious. I think that's the thing with internalized misogyny is it's so unconscious, isn't it? It's not, as Ames was saying, it's not 
a conscious effort to put another woman down or to shame other women. It's completely, I think most of it is unconscious and you're right with the associations. We learn when our brain is exposed to a repeated pattern of behaviours, it learns to associate women equal fragile, women equal pink, women equal pretty, men equal strong. So it's, yeah, I mean, the the automatic biases that we have are so ingrained and we will get into kind of where they all come from a little bit later. We have some fun theories for you guys. Um, but yeah, I did just want to give a few examples. So Ames, feel free to add any on. Uh, victim blaming, specifically in sexual or physical harassment. I think that's so, um, the first one that popped into my mind because, you know, you've heard that when women are in court are uh, discussing a sexual assault or a physical assault, a lot of the questioning is what were you wearing? You know, mm. you know, were you asking for it? Another one was systemic discrimination. So the pay gaps, glass ceilings, and, oh, this is one that kills me, Ames. Blaming daughters for daddy issues. Mm. Daddy issues occur when there's not a stable caregiver from paternal caregiver and yet somehow daddy issues uh insinuates that it's the girl's fault and i think also when you hear of girls who like you know for example when i was growing up and i heard that someone had daddy issues you'd immediately think crazy yeah oh something's wrong with her or she's unstable or unhinged Mm. um which is so interesting isn't it and that that's a bias that we all have right yeah, it's also it's almost used as a synonym to describe someone as being crazy or irrational, like, mm. oh, that girl, daddy issues. Yeah, and when you actually peel it back from a psychological viewpoint, a child's treatment by their father has got nothing to do with them. It's mm. got a lot more to do with the father. So, yeah, that's one I really want to bring to the table. I've been itching to talk about because it frustrates me when I see girls making that assumption. When anyone, I mean, when males or females, but specifically females, that assumption of, you know, she has daddy issues. Another example of internalized misogyny is slut-shaming, body-shaming other women. Also sex-shaming women who are strong in their sexuality, who have very strong views about their own sexuality, you know, and women perhaps are quite derogatory to to those people. Um, Definitely. I did want to bring up something later with you, Amy, talking about (laughs) (laughs) WAP. Another one is gossiping and slandering for other women and uh, about other women. And that's almost an identifiable characteristic of being a girl, isn't it? That Mm. it's almost an attribute that girls have is gossiping, which is really interesting. Yeah. And women tend to bond over it, don't they? Mm. Mm. There is that shared, it's like we have something in common. Oh, there's a meme and it's like nothing nothing brings you closer to a girl than the mutual hate you have for somebody else. Yeah. And how horrible is that? Yeah. So routinely viewing other women as competitors Mm. in social life, in work life, in family life, um, especially for the attention and approval of men. Women versus women in the workplace, for example, she's so bossy, she's a bitch, she's so stubborn, whereas men don't seem to get that same, you know, if assertive men are in the workplace, you wouldn't say he's so bossy. I've never heard a male be called bossy. Neither have I, actually. It seems to be I've a heard synonym. he's a boss. Positive. Yeah. Like, but why is, boss why is bossy singled out to women or females? Mm. Um, another one is criticizing the choices of other women, criticizing the appearance of other women, mm. using, uh, you know, a typical female feminine feature of you're, you're so emotional, you're such a girl, mm. or you're so strong for a girl. Or you run like a girl. Yeah. How does a girl run? Another one that um, came to mind just now that I absolutely loathe is that a smart, successful woman is intimidating to men Mm. and that you should, you know, um, dim yourself down so that you don't intimidate, you know, a potential romantic prospect Mm. or you'll scare away a potential relationship if you're too successful, if you're too intelligent. Um, because, you know, you don't want to go intimidating any potential lovers. Yeah, and intimidating from a female's point of view. Like if you see a boss, you know, a girl that's really, uh, sorry, a female that's really high up in her career, she's really successful. Women do generally tend to get 
a lot of women do tend to get intimidated, don't they? It's almost mm. like a competition. Um, another one as well is she's so butch or she's so mm. strong or masculine, which is really just perpetuating what a, a female should look like. So yeah, they're just a few ideas of internalized misogyny that we mm. have thought of. But obviously the, the list is not exhaustive. <laughs> That's <laughs> just a few. Kat, what have been some of your experiences with internalized misogyny in and out of the work, workplace? Okay, so I had this, obviously Amy and I are not immune to this. Um, I had this, I used to work with this female and she was about my age and she was such a boss. Like she was so high up in her career. She really um, scaled the, her, the career ladder so quickly. She was on a really good salary. Um, and she was always so positive. And I don't know what it was, but I found something quite intimidating about her. And that immediately meant that I didn't like her. Whether I saw that as a threat, I don't know why, because, you know, we were quite different, but it was almost like a confident woman is almost abnormal. And because it's so abnormal, we see it as a threat, don't we? I mean, our brains are searching for threats constantly. Mm-hmm. And when it sees something that's a bit out of place or a bit abnormal, we, we, we kind of sometimes can perceive that as a threat. And so, yeah. And And upon reflection, and I've had to work really hard on myself with this, is just because someone's confident and successful and comfortable with who they are, that does not mean anything negative about them. That does not mean, and she was so assertive. She was actually such a boss and I learned a lot from her, but it was just really interesting, my initial reaction. And Mm. I think that had a lot more, it's a hundred percent to do with my own insecurities and Mm. perhaps it was projecting onto her my jealousy or I, you know, perhaps there was a part of me that wished I could be like that, but knew that I wasn't. So yeah, that, that's been a really interesting um, learning curve for me. And it's the first time that I really consciously had to work, notice that I did something like that because I'm such a proud feminist. But upon reflection, I'm, I've really had to catch myself every time I think about women and powerful women, instead of, I, I guess, seeing them as like competition, I, I almost, I really try and celebrate them. You know, mm. it's, it's less about, you know, that they're better at something and more about that's awesome. They're good at that. You know, that's amazing. So yeah, that's something I've really worked really hard on these last few years, especially since coming to a workforce. What about you? Give me your, your experiences with internalized misogyny. Firstly, I think a lot of people can relate to what you just said, myself included. And I think, you know, that's all we can do because that is our default. I think when we have experiences with other women that are so successful and beautiful and do maybe highlight some of the things that we envy, our default setting is to feel a little bit jealous. And, you know, like I said, those unconscious biases really are at play there and it does take real conscious effort Mm. to kind of catch yourself when you are um experiencing that so I think that's you know great self-awareness I think also another thing that most women can relate to and something that I wanted to touch on that is outside of the workforce is that most women experience sexism and harassment on a regular basis, mm-hmm. uh, whether it be, you know, someone yelling out the car to you when you're walking on the street or, um, you know, a derogatory comment or something like that from men. But I feel like with internalized misogyny, again, it's that, that unco- unconscious association there. I remember I was maybe 18 or 19. I was out dancing with my friends and I felt a hand slide between my thighs and grope my crotch. I was in complete shock. I felt violated and I didn't really know what to do. And I immediately was asking myself questions like, oh my gosh, like, am I dancing too sexy? Like, did Mm. I kind of, you know, give off an invitation? Um, Is my dress too short? And I felt really upset and I spoke to my friend about it. And I think this is what shocked me more. She said, oh yeah, that happens all the time. You know, like you're really hot. Like, you know, guys want you. So... I didn't know at the time then, but upon reflection, I think the biggest problem is that women kind of Mm. accept and just that that if we are even unwanted sexual desire or, Mm. you know, um, advances, well, that that is a message that you're attractive. So, you know, it, that's, that's all that matters. Like you got, you, you know, you got the validation that you're an attractive female f- from the likes of a male. So like, 
what the audience you? have to complain about. Yeah. And I just think this is such a problem, you know, mm-hmm. and this isn't a compliment. Unwanted mm-hmm. um, sexual advances is not a compliment and that's not validation that you're attractive. That's like saying that, oh, well, it doesn't matter if you raped someone because they were unattractive. Mm-hmm. And I know that argument gets brought up a lot with victims of rape and yeah I just think this is this is a problem we should be making a fuss we shouldn't be staying silent you know again it's that unconscious you know default of oh well women we're not meant to speak up we're meant Mm. to be silent you know we're not meant to make a fuss because then we're you know um annoying or yeah and I wonder if it's a bit of learned helplessness because Mm. we have been you know, conditioned from such a young age as as females and those who identify as being female to shrink, to be small, to not be confident, to don't speak out, to don't be stubborn, don't be bossy, don't be assertive. Um, those are typically qualities meant for men and those who identify as, as males. And I wonder if, like, I'm just coming back to when I was younger and going out and received male attention. Um whether the first few times it was like you you had that reaction of like disgusting get off me I want to go tell someone and then if nothing was done about it you know or or if you had that friend that said oh yeah that happens all the time you just learn to normalize it and accept it and you think well if it happens all the time and no one's no one thinks it's such a big deal and other women are normalizing it other women are being like oh no like you're hot like you know I'm you know jealous of the attention that you're getting from men regardless of whether it's harassment or not Mm, yeah it's interesting isn't it and yeah it's it's so much comes into play here um whether it's social constructs that have enabled this or or have silenced women i mean it's institutionalized as well you know when you go to a police with sexual assault it's hard to prove sexual assault is really hard to prove um Mm. And that is so exhausting for people who are victims of sexual assault, um, like you were. That that that's awful. That's really awful. And now, I bet as you're older, you're probably like your reaction would be very different. So different. So we wanted to, we actually put a poll up on Insta, and I wanted to read you guys the results because it was super duper interesting. Obviously, this is not peer reviewed research. <laughs> this is an Instagram poll, but I wanted to ask our listeners about some of their experiences with internalized misogyny. Okay, so we asked, for females and those who identify as females, when you wear certain outfits, um, such as shorts, dresses, skirts, activewear, do you have some fear of getting hit on or harassed? The majority said, 60% said yes. They had some fear that when they put on certain outfits that they would be harassed, which is a lot, Ames. Mm. That's very scary, those stats. I'm surprised by the so mm. was I. And this is current. Like, this is literally today. Yeah. The 24th of August, 2020. Yeah. <laughs> it's very sad. Okay. Do you want to read the next one? When you see another woman who looks typically feminine by Western standards, feminine clothes, makeup, hair choice, engages in cosmetic surgery, etc., do you generally assume her levels of intelligence as lower than other females who don't? That is, who don't engage in typical feminine West, um, Western beauty standards. Mm-hmm. And 86% said no. Which is good. But... Which is really good. But I observe this so much. And I think this is where our un- unconscious bias comes mm-hmm. in because we can consciously articulate our values and beliefs. However, I have seen this happen so many times mm. where another female will female will be out and she'll have visibly a lot of cosmetic surgery or, you know, um, have a lot of makeup on or she'll be wearing a very loud outfit. Instantly, comments that circulate are, oh, my goodness, you know, she's had a lot of work done or look what she's wearing. You know what I mean? Like, it, mm. I feel like it is a really unconscious judgment that a lot of women Mm. do to other women. Yeah, you're saying you're right. There are so many women and me included that stand up and say, I'm a feminist. Of course, Mm. I would never think that about women. But we don't know the unconscious processes that are happening until we really reflect and dig deep. Mm. Um, And so, Because what associations do we have with cosmetic surgery? Exactly. Fake. Exactly. Uh, Dumb. Dumb. Attention-seeking. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, you know, it's it's interesting. That's still over at it, I only posted it like two hours ago, and sixty five percent. Um, sorry, sixty five people so far have said yes. They do judge a woman by what she looks like and attribute her intelligence to that. Which mm. is very interesting. Um, the next one is, have you ever labeled an assertive friend, family member, colleague, and or boss as bossy or a bitch? Um, 71% have said, yes, they have. Mm. Um, interestingly, you can, for a female being assertive and being a bitch is synonymous. You can't be one or the other, which is very frustrating. You know what just popped into my mind too? The phrase skinny bitch. Mm. Like, and I don't know if this is... You know, this is this is just me going off on a tangent, but I remember this phrase so much in high school and my early adulthood, and um, not just used by women to other women, men, men as well. Um, yeah, the phrase "skinny bitch," like oh, like almost almost out of jealousy or mm, anger, anger. Yeah, like oh, you know, damn you for being so skinny. Mm. So you're automatically. You're a bitch. Purely or... on how much fat you have on your body. Yeah. Someone has made that judgment about you. Jeez. Yeah. Being a woman is tough. <laughs> For females and those who identify as female, how often do you feel unsafe on a night out? So 305 people said sometimes, 147 people said most of the time. Wow. That is not good statistics. This is such an interesting conversation. I'm going off on a tangent, but this is such a great episode to talk about it. I was talking about this with Josh um, and we have these processes that as females, I feel like a lot of us have when we're obviously pre-COVID, we're out on a night out, we're walking on our own back to our Uber or getting dropped off by the Uber and we have to walk like a block or something home. As women, we do this thing that we don't even realize. We, we clutch our car keys. We clutch our bag. Mm. We think of escape routes. We think of people we can call. We think of, you know, ways we can get away. We might take our shoes off so we can walk faster. These things are so unconscious for women. We, these are things that we just, it's, it's almost like survival, isn't it? Mm. It's because late at night, you're worried who's going to be around. We're constantly vigilant. We might be on our phone trying to look distracted. And I remember saying this to Josh. I remember saying like, oh, when I get home tonight, I'm going to make sure I have my keys in my hand. And he was like, why? And I was like, well, because if something happens, I can, <laughs> don't know what I was going to do, stab someone with my keys. But for me, it was safety of having my keys there in case anything physical happened. I could st- stab them, which is ridiculous. I don't think that would hurt someone. But no, and I was- always had a little thing where if I stabbed them in the eyes, they wouldn't be able to see me. So they wouldn't be able to hurt me. <laughs> and isn't that sad? You've had to think yeah. about that. Isn't that sad that as women and Josh was like, what? Why do you think about that? I was like, we, we have to. And, I, and when he said that, I was like, yeah, we shouldn't have to think about that. But I think we do have to think about that a lot. We have to think about our safety a lot more than what men do. And I think, you know, when you're walking down the street and there's a group of men, you just instantly have that. Here we go. You know, if you know, you're wearing something that you just know, like active wear, um, shorts, like skirts, you think, oh, here we go. Like, and you just have to pretend to ignore them. Like you have to pretend you don't hear the wolf whistles when people beat their horns. Mm. That is interesting. Even then you say you have to pretend you don't hear it. Exactly. We are taught, you know, or we learn that association of, oh, just ignore it. Like just pretend it didn't happen. I think another interesting component of what you're saying, which I think is so important to highlight is another part of internalized misogyny is the mistrust associated with women. So when we say that, you know, we have been victims of domestic violence or, you know, we've been sexually assaulted, like you were saying before, Kat, we're often questioned for that. Mm, yeah. There does seem to be this, um, bias with and you you hear about it a lot with women that have um sexual assault or sexual harassment uh it we have to really fight to prove Mm. that that happens like the me too movement yeah yeah isn't that sad like isn't that just a a system setting you up for learned helplessness Mm. it's if someone doesn't listen to me what's the point what's the point in, in in holding someone accountable for something they've done wrong and of course it's you experience if you experience trauma 
your natural sometimes response is just to kind of withdraw, to not deal with it, to put it under the rug and to try and cope, Um, Mm. which we know if you don't really deal with trauma properly, it can come and manifest and affect your life in so many different ways that are mostly can be quite negative. Um, So yeah, it's internalized misogyny is huge. And in this episode, we're not trying to talk about every single thing to do with internalized misogyny. We just wanted to bring some awareness to how it does impact on our unconscious biases and our mental health as well, especially Amy and I, we've been, we've lived through the experience of internalized misogyny. We still continue to every day and a lot of our clients do. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think that's what we want to highlight is that where do we as women really stand with internalized misogyny today Mm. like we have women doctors and women mps but something must be really wrong in our society in our quote unquote sisterhood when we judge ourselves and other women for deciding not to have children or not to be married Mm. before 30 or you know leaving the house without makeup these are surgery Yeah, these are deeply ingrained and inherent in our culture and we don't even know that it's happening. Mm. Women are constantly measured by their relationship or comparatively to other women. Exactly like you were saying before, Kat, we feel this like competition and we judge ourselves comparatively to men as well. For example, if you're a 35-year-old single woman and you know, you're know you a boss of your own business and you own a house and you say you drive an expensive car, the assumption might be that you know, you're a bit of a dragon lady and don't know what's wrong with her. She can't hold down a relationship, like those kind of associations. Where if we flip that, and we have the same example, but it's a male in the position. We're like, damn, look at this bachelor. He's got everything going for him. He's killing it. He's setting himself up for success. And I think studies show this again and again, whether it be you know, in the case of advertising, occupation, education, economic, social spheres. You know, when we, I guess, try and step into traditionally male domains, we gain competence but we lose in likability this may also be a reason why women often are reluctant to confront instances Mm -hmm. of sexism like we're talking about before and it's not that surprising that some women oppose feminism because i guess these ideologies condition and socialize women and men to maintain the status quo Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, in the workplace? I think that's such an interesting human experiment of women (laughs) because I guess especially now more and more women are going into more male-dominated industries. How they're perceived is really interesting and what what qualities are admirable in men are the exact opposite in a woman. And I think that's so interesting. I think so many people think being emotional is a sign of weakness, I think, Mm. in a lot of corporate industries. But I think on the other hand, I think being emotional makes incredible leaders, doesn't it? It makes incredible empaths and it makes incredible role models for everyone, not just women, but for men too, Mm. to normalize emotions. I want to talk about a 2009 study. This study was examining internalized sexism. Um, And they wanted to see, oh, it's obviously between females. They wanted to see how much internalized sexism and unconscious biases occur in the space of 10 minutes in a 10 minute conversation. So this study got 45 pairs of female best friends to assess uh, in what forms and how often internalized sexism and misogyny appeared. So they measured it using four categories. The first one was assertions of incompetence, i.e. I'm not good at this. Um, another one was the competition between women, i.e. I'm better than her or she's better than me. Third one was the construction of women as objects. So, uh, look at her wearing that dress. And the fourth one was the invalidation and insult of women. So for example, she's so annoying. On average, in a 10-minute conversation aims, guess how many times they counted uh, instances of internalized misogyny or sexist remarks against Mm. women? 30. Oh, now you ruined it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They counted 11. 11 times in a 10-minute conversation, they noticed that in either one of these categories, women against women were unconsciously talking about um, other women. And when uh, interviewed, these women had no idea 
um, and they were quite shocked that it mm. happened that that frequently. So sexism is not internalized once. We don't just see sexism occurring and internalize at one time and make assumptions and associations based on that. The repetition of these practices, particularly in peer groups, the project of internalizing sexism requires you know, a lot of socialization. It requires a lot of patterns of behavior that we observe as children, adults, um, older adults, that perpetuates that being sexist is okay and it's the norm. And I think that's what keeps this going is we see it constantly, whether it's media, with peer groups and workplaces, and I think we continue it. And it's unless you step, someone steps in and we really take a good hard look at our language and our unconscious biases that nothing will change if we don't examine this. So really interesting study. I love that they're studying this. Yeah, definitely. And I think one thing I wanted to touch on is social media. I think sometimes social media can be a real war, women versus women. Yeah. Uh, a study found that women are more likely to be misogynist than men. So women are more, more likely yeah. to be more, yeah, than men, um, at least on social media. Anyway, for this study, the study found that 52% of misogynistic hate speech tweets came from women versus 48% men. A similar study found that half of misogynistic tweets, which contained the word whore or slut, came from women. And a recent poll found that both men and women preferred having a male boss in the workplace. In fact, male bosses have remained the overall preference since this poll started in 1953. As painfully clear as it is, misogyny has never been a men-only problem. And I think these are really important conversations that a lot of us need to be having. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's social media. It's a huge, and, and think about it, I guess, going into theories. Okay. So I'm a little bit sad to announce this, but evolutionary theory, it has, it's really done me wrong when talking about no. misogyny. Evolutionary theory, no, it, it's definitely flawed in terms of talking about women and gender roles and versus men. I think. Sorry to say, Kat, I, I I'm sorry, I'm interrupting you, but I think attachment theory has uh, evolutionary covered here. Oh, really? Yeah. But no, you go, you go. Oh, it's the end of our love for our theories. <laughs> Where will we go to now? I guess that we turn to feminist theory. Um, <laughs> okay, um, so evolutionary theory. So sexual selection was at the core of evolution and female inferiority was at its base. Um, Charles Darwin, who obviously was the founding father of evolutionary theory, concluded that men were like animals and they searched for women to their liking in terms of sexual selection and used the attractiveness of women to decide uh, their sexual partner. Um, Darwin stated that evolutionary leads to different outcomes depending on the traits of the suitor that females choose to reproduce with. Hence, males had to prove themselves to be physically and intellectually superior to other men in order to attract females. Charles Darwin also noted that men were more likely to choose lots of different partners. That was normal, whereas women were more suited to only one male partner because they had so much energy and responsibility for child rearing. Um, and so he felt that men who sow their seed, I, I can never say that and not laugh. It's just a gross saying. Um, men who sow their seed, that was normal. Um, and still to that day, evolutionary theorists suggest that that's normal for men. Men are not cement meant to be monogamous. They're meant to be polygamous. So I think the gender roles and diversity in evolutionary theory really perpetuates internalized misogyny. And also another part of evolutionary theory before you go into attachment theory is that Paul Broca, who um, found, well, was one of the founding fathers for the Broca's region in the brain, claimed that because men have had to adapt, they were the more stronger uh, species. They were the, the smarter one as well. He felt that men's brains developed faster than women and therefore they were smarter and uh, women who had were generally had smaller brains and that was a testament to a woman's physical and intellectual inferiority so even the founding fathers of science and psychology have a lot of internalized misogyny which is really frustrating and these upper class white men so we don't expect anything less now tell me about the sad sad uh, realization <laughs> of attachment theory no um i i mean it i think it actually explains a lot um, 
I meant it more that I think attachment theory kicks evolution theory in the butt. Um, <laughs> uh, yet again. I see. Um, oh, wow. Okay. No. no. Um, I won't go into it too much because I could talk about it for days, but I think the internalization of misogyny is not restricted to boys or girls. Uh, it comes out of being raised by mothers because the mother is typically the person we are most dependent on. Um, that is kind of where we learn uh, what it means to be a girl or a woman. So girls grow up to be mums, so they internalize misogyny. Um, boys do not grow up to be mums. Um, and there's a whole thing that Freud goes into about the Oedipus complex, which I won't get into because I'd be here forever. Penis um, envy. Yes. Yeah. The ho- it's a whole thing. Maybe we should do an episode on that. It'd be kind of cool to talk about. Yeah. Do you remember learning about Freud in uni? Yes. I, I was like, what the Whoa. fuck? Like, how yeah. is this guy still so celebrated with some of the theories that he has? But yes, I definitely think we should do an episode on Freud. Yeah. Psychoanalysis. <laughs> oh, it's just blows my mind but yeah in Freudian terms basically boys go through this developmental stage um, of individuation where they differentiate from their mothers and realize they can't possess their mothers and this marks the end of what's known as the Oedipus complex so boys then identify with their father and then this way they learn what it means to be masculine in disassociation from what it means to be like their mother who is feminine basically that's kind of like it in a Mm. nutshell so basically the male child feels dependent on a woman and this is dangerous it makes him feel vulnerable which leads to fear which leads to hostility which can lead to hostility not always and then this kind of anxious attachment or you know somewhat insecure attachment is repressed and that's expressed via the unconscious misogyny And this can happen for females too. So the more fragmented and traumatic childhood is, the more likely it is that future behavior will become extreme. Our internal maps, as I like to call them, of an intimate relationship is drawn from our primary love relationship, which is usually the one we have with our mother. So we are programmed to remember pain or, you know, um, unpleasant traumatic experiences. Again, those unconscious associations and this is why our species survives because we learn mechanisms to protect ourselves and keep ourselves safe. So if we learn that mothers are, you know, nurturing and emotional and, you know, fulfill our needs, uh, men are usually less likely to be misogynist and females are more likely to, you know, have less, I guess, of a um, critical view or mm. internal map of other women. Uh, and this is classless and international and transhistorical. This is not to say that if, you know, you grow up in a, a really loving, nurturing home that you're less likely to have internal misogyny. That's not what I'm saying. But I guess what I am saying is it starts with your childhood and so does the solution. So I guess breaking down the dependency on our mother or, or our primary caregiver is the first step. So... I think also um, going back to the Oedipus complex, so m- boys fought for the attention of their mother, didn't they? I think that's mm. one of the, the early stages of the psychosocial development, if I remember that correctly from uni. Um, and so when they, and, and I guess that's where they learn to fight for females' attention, right? And so by in turn becoming quite masculine and, and, and I guess going against everything that a mother is, which is caring, emotional, well, emotional in quotation marks, nurturing, boys start to develop masculinity and learn off their father. Um, so I think that's really interesting. The way that boys treat their mother can be uh, a model for how they treat women later in life, which is really the basis of attachment theory. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And isn't that like the first question you ask when, you know, you're dating someone or your girlfriends might ask, what's his relationship like with his mom? Because that kind of informs us as, well, that's kind of how he treats women or that's kind of how he sees women. Um, But we're kind of then again, not recognizing that we have our own (laughs) internalized misogyny and how that also informs our relationship with how we see women exactly or when you ask someone say you're dating someone new you're looking for a potential partner you ask them about their ex that's a really good way to really suss out misogyny real quick (laughs) (laughs) it's a very good quick screener um i want to go into cultural theory so this is essentially the theory that 
our internalized misogyny, it's, it, it's not biological, it's not genetic. It is something that we learn as we grow up and the messages we receive from the media, from our family, from the behaviors of people around us. Um, so women become exposed to various forms of misogyny through a variety of, their, of places, including their family, their interpersonal relationships, workplaces, religious institutions. Um, Women are socialized and it's become quite normal to be quite misogynistic. So it shouldn't be surprising that women will generally internalize these beliefs. And it, it's quite a vicious cycle, I think. So women learn to maintain the status quo, the status quo being that it's normal to degrade other women. It's normal to be, uh, to see the female gender as inferior um and this is reinforced every single day with messages we receive from the media from friends from gossiping from how we see women from these unconscious biases it's continued to be reinforced um so even in a nurturing family a child can grow up with chauvinism or internalized misogyny culture and societal constructs such as media gender distinctions typical character roles of fathers and mothers these sends messages to children and that's where a child's misogyny starts. Um, yeah. So interesting. I mean, I, I think that's really clear cut and I think that's probably the, a really good definite uh, way to see misogyny. I think it's certainly mostly from the messages we receive and the societal constructs around us, which helps to shape our misogyny and perpetuate it. I think that's really interesting. I have a really interesting study to bring up. Um, it's more against, it's more about the way that men view females. So a 2008 study in Mexico studying the impact of socio-cultural factors and attitudes of misogyny. So Mexican researchers interviewed 400 men men using a misogyny scale and I want to read out what the questions were at this <laughs> they're so awful um okay <clears throat> number one in my opinion women are bad news number two women are only good for one thing and that is sex number three I avoid women except when it comes to sex um number four it wouldn't bother me to hurt a woman physically five women have never treated me very well and six sex is the only reason why i pursue women so men who scored high on this misogyny scale um so that's where they agree they strongly agreed so to any of those um, items on the scale tended to have so men who have higher misogynist viewpoints and ideas of women tended to have uh, a lot lower education than others were more likely to be unemployed interestingly we're more likely to identify as gay or bisexual, more likely to have used heroin in the past four months, more likely to be to exhibit depressive symptoms and more likely to have lower self-esteem. Mm. Isn't that interesting? Um, the male perspective. Some more ballistic statistics. Oh, really some ballistic statistics. So after all this, what does internalized misogyny have to do with mental health and why the heck are we talking about it? So previous studies have had to collate. There's not one clear study that shows all the different clean mental health diagnoses that correlate with sexism, internalized misogyny. So I had to do a lot of digging today. Okay. So one study found that women who were more um, internally misogynist towards other women had, were more likely to experience depression. Sexism and internalized misogyny and sexist thoughts towards other women were was seen as a moderator to higher psychological distress, increased chance of experiencing PTSD if she experiences internalized misogyny or sexist remarks from either men or women. Um, women are more likely to have increased body dissatisfaction and increased anxiety after they either express or receive internalized misogynist remarks from other women. So, Interestingly, internalized misogyny, although not surprising, does lead to quite a significant impact on our mental health, um, especially as women. We generally feel this, uh, I guess, evolutionary theory. It's hurt me, but <laughs> I guess one thing is it sees women against women as, you know, women are competition. You know, we mm. compete for male attention. We compete for that male gaze. And I wonder if, you know, a lot of this mental health, you know, the correlation with mental health and, and the development of symptoms has a lot to do with that low confidence or that competition or the feeling that we're not good enough. And I think we, as women, we are, we, we get so many messages every day that we're not good enough. This is just another thing, mm. you know, like we get it from all angles. We do not need it from other women. So mm. really important that we do start to really 
um, notice these unconscious biases. So interesting. I don't know if I talked about when I was talking about the Instagram poll, but another question that we asked was how often do you gossip in your friendship group? And I found this so interesting. So I, I asked, does your friendship group ever gossip about other women? 92 of the, which is over 400 people at the time of recording have said yes. And if yes, how often? And 29% said all the time they gossip about other women. That is over 120 people say all the time they gossip mm. with their friendship group about other women. Amy, tell me the function of gossiping. Why do you think women do it? Well, like we discussed earlier, I actually think a lot of women use it as a bonding tactic mm. to, you know, kind of relate over shared experience or mutual, I don't want to say hate, but you know, and I, I also think, although not an effective strategy, I also think a lot of the time women put other women down to make themselves feel better. So it will be, you know, highlighting somebody else's shortcomings to make themselves feel better about their success. Um, it can also be a form of projecting. So something that we might be really internally struggling with, um, you know, by highlighting someone else else is failure or you know projecting it can also kind of be used as a bit of a coping mechanism then there as well yeah I agree I I feel like the function of gossiping and and being quite derogatory towards other women is really stems from low self-confidence and I think Mm. there's lots of studies that have proved that It, it really comes from a you know they're better than it's almost like a they're better than me I need to do something to make myself feel better and say something negative about them. And that will make me feel better. Right. Um, Because when we see women as a threat, we look to find something that makes us feel better as humans is finding something wrong with that person. And I think women, we love to do that. We love to know and we love to point out flaws. We love to anything we can find because the, I guess the, the idea of a woman that's good at everything and is successful and is beautiful and is skilled in something and is strong and is fit. That's, we can't, we feel like we can't compete. And so by tearing that person down, it makes us feel better. And I think you're absolutely right. It really comes down to that insecurity and the projection and bonding. Definitely. And I think jealousy too. Mm. I think jealousy is such a uncomfortable emotion. I think a lot of people get embarrassed to say they feel jealousy because it's viewed as such a negative emotion like a lot of people don't like to admit that they feel jealousy but jealousy is also quite a a painful emotional experience it's a really uncomfortable emotion to feel and when we are I guess in emotional pain it can make us do things that Mm. are painful to others you know what I mean? Like I'm hurt, so I'm going to hurt you. Mm. Almost like retaliation. Even though that person has not really done anything to us at all, we're feeling a way in response to them. And it's, it's another unconscious reaction, isn't mm. it? And I think that really says a lot about trolling on social media. Ames and I were talking off mic about what is it about, um, for example, the Kardashians? They've done nothing personally to people, but people love to troll on the Kardashians. People love to hate the Kardashians. Because it makes people feel better. You know, they see these women that are successful, they're bosses, they're kicking butt, their style's on point, they're, you know, succeeding in a lot of parts of their life. And yet people, and it's not, sorry, it's not just them, it's a lot of celebrities. People love to tear other people down because it makes them feel a lot better. And I think it's got so much more to do with that person than what it does, um, you know, the women or I guess the celebrities that are being torn down and it, it is quite sad to see women. And it, that statistic you said, Ains, when more women are likely to tear down women than what men are. I think that's mm. really sad. Quickly before we kind of finish up, I want to talk to you, Amy, about WAP or WAP <laughs> by Cardi B and Megan the Stallion. Amy, tell me about your thoughts on this music video and this song. Well, we were talking about this a little bit off mic. I was a little bit scared to talk about this because one, I am not in any way political, politically (laughs) minded. We're going to say a rapper. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What are you talking about? I'm I'm big papa. Can you just do a little rap? Can you please just do a little rap? Just like live rap. Big papa. 
No, Ames, you're better than this. I can't. Please, just a live wrap. Come on, let's shake it up. It's been quite a dense episode. The pressure will get to me. Okay, go Mockingbird Eminem. I just, not today. (laughs) (laughs) You're such a good rapper. One day the world needs to see. Ames just, you have this phenomenal ability to just regurgitate songs that you hear you hear like once or twice it's actually amazing it's actually pretty cool yeah it it's is a little hidden talent okay look wet wet ass pussy the thing i think and like we were saying that surprised me the most well not even surprised me i wasn't surprised but i think the thing that hits home to me the most is how offended other women were by this music video because mm-hmm. To me, male artists, male rap artists, rap about getting girls and sex all the time. Mm, like quite graphically. graphically. Quite graphically. Like if you look at male rap videos, there are some that are, are so much worse. So hypersexualized. Yeah, 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 like almost like soft porn. And I was actually watching two different music videos with a group of friends on the weekend who were talking about this. And actually, the words that they were using were like that of disgust and, you know, that kind of thing. And then we watched a really old school music video, which actually was kind of like a porno. Um, But anyway, I'm getting, getting sidetracked. I just think it's so interesting to see internalized misogyny at play here, whereby women were so judgmental that two strong talented rappers were openly sexual and flaunting their sexuality and so comfortable with their sexuality Mm. why is it such a surprise and a shock and why is it so offensive to some women that women are so empowered by their sexuality Mm. are suddenly like it's it's what men what male rappers have been doing for a long time mm. you're damned if you do damned if you don't right so women are supposed to be these sexual you know icons for men behind the scenes though yeah, yeah but when we go and outwardly mm. express ourselves sexually we're a slut we're a whore yeah and it's disgusting by standards by female standards that's the most mm. frustrating thing about this is women tearing other women down and when I saw that video, I was like, damn, this is very sexual because it's abnormal, right? It's abnormal to see two women of color, like two women, but also two women of color to be so liberated about their sexuality and talk about it so graphically. And I, I definitely, my automatic thought was, oh my God, like this is, wow, this is very sexualized. Mm. But upon reflection, I'm like, it's actually amazing. It's actually so nice to see and i hope that this continues i really hope that this continues so it becomes normalized that women's sexuality is normalized Mm, definitely and i think speaking on that part of the ways we can kind of help (laughs) internalize misogyny i think as women we need to fully participate in these conversations Mm. this is not a women's problem that's not what i'm saying i'm not saying that you know the blame is on women. What I am saying in, is there is no legislation that can eradicate unconscious bias. We need to focus on not only on the overt sexism and overt misogyny, we you know, need to allow ourselves to understand that women are biased too. Mm. And we need to change the conversation from pointing the finger to starting to be you know, a lot more aware of what we're consuming in our environment. And I guess, you know, sometimes it's helpful to ask ourselves some difficult questions like, where do these feelings come from? Mm -hmm. Um, How do I treat other women? What kind of associations am I drawing about other women? Um, You know, deconstructing masculinity Mm -hmm. is tough. And I think it's, it's even harder to compete. So I think commit yourself to becoming a conscious observer in your environment. You are the consumer of your environment. Pay attention to what you're consuming. Don't judge, just engage and be curious. And when you see judgment, when you see internalized misogyny at play, speak up. Let's help each other change these limiting narratives. 
you know, this is not about blaming anybody, but we are all responsible for a solution here. Agreed. A really interesting message that we received in our inbox when I put up that poll today was, if I don't engage in gossiping, am I still a gossip? And I will just say that by staying silent, you're actually enabling this behavior to continue. So by staying silent, that's not enough. Great. You're not engaging it. Great. You're not provoking it. But I think by staying silent, we we tend to enable and continue and normalize these, especially gossip. I think that's such an, it's an everyday thing that we can consciously stop. You know, when our friends are talking, really peeling back those layers and saying, why is this important to me? Why do we need to talk about this? When I talk about it, how do I feel after I put another woman down? Do I feel good? Do I feel worse? Like what's the function? Um, I think language is really important too. How we talk about women is really important. Another thing that can be really helpful is if a lot of this internalized misogyny of women comes down to how we feel about ourselves, let's, let's work on that. Let's work on that self-esteem. Let's work on that confidence and let's really challenge those messages we've received from both men and women and really start to, our brain thinks that these automatic biases are true. The more that we think about them consciously, the more we start to break them down, the more your brain will learn to start to associate those new, probably more factual biases as fact. So we really need to work on it. It's a conscious effort, but it's definitely doable. Yeah, definitely. Identifying those hidden structures that are meant to keep us all in check to the status quo and it will help men and women question the system and start to move forward. Yes, absolutely. So a little bit of a different episode from us today, but this is something that Ames and I are so passionate about and we obviously wanted to touch on internalized misogyny, how it is in the current society and I guess how it impacts on our mental health and the psychological processes behind it. Mm. That's so important to know. I mean, the the best way we can change is first to understand how it all works and why it works and then changing our behavior after that. So just thought this would be such a fun, different episode for you guys. We hope that you have enjoyed. Yeah. All right, guys, we will catch you next episode. Catch you in the next episode. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. If you're not already, please follow us on Instagram at The Psychology Sisters. We are also now providing online psychological sessions. For more information, please follow us at The Psych Collaborative. See you next time.